turn with me. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 6 and 7, all right? And so we're finishing up today talking about um, what it really means to have an exponential life and who we are in Christ Jesus. Now, the Great Commission is what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then the end of it is to love your neighbor as yourself, all right? So what Jesus has done when he gives us that passage in Mark is he comes to us and he gives us uh, what's called the Shema, in which we studied in our Sunday school a few few weeks ago. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Love the Lord. There's only one God is what it says. And then it says to love the Lord. These, these same ways, actually, um, mind is added to that, all right? So um, heart and mind is when Jesus gave that, he adds uh, heart, soul, mind, and strength, all right? And then he takes this other passage just found in Leviticus, because I know that you guys go there and you read Leviticus all the time, right? Isn't that the passage that you always start with? When you go to the book of the Bibles and you say, what's my favorite book? Leviticus pops up, right? So it doesn't. So it's Leviticus chapter 19 is verse 18. And it's this obscure little thing that's found in the book of the law, right? In Leviticus. And it says to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is this? What does this mean? So why did Jesus take what was known as the Shema or basically the most important Old Testament scripture outside the Ten Commandments for them to follow about the Lord and then add this obscure scripture to it in Old Testament from Leviticus and put those two together to give us the great commandment? Why would he do something like that, all right? Because he's wanting to show us the transformational aspect of what it means to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and what that means horizontally. We like to focus on the vertical aspects of this. So when there was a time when Jesus was out and he was teaching, right? And he comes across across this rich young ruler. And the rich young ruler comes and and he says that he's kept all the commandments and done all these things. And he says, basically, Jesus is in a conversation with him. And I'm paraphrasing greatly here, okay? And so he says, tell me what it means to you. And he says, all the scripture that it means to have a relationship um, with everybody else. But he didn't say any of the scripture or the Ten Commandments that it had to do with a relationship with God. See, we like to take one or the other. So the rich young ruler said, I've honored my father and my mother, and I've kept all, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't committed adultery, I haven't, you know, uh, he actually didn't say anything about coveting, he was very rich, all right? So five of the of the ten he gave, but the four dealing with the Lord and then coveting he did not give. And so Jesus basically answered him back and said, you need to go and give all your possessions away, right? And then go live for me. And what did he do? He just walked away from that. So, and we need both of these relationships. We need a vertical relationship, which the rich young ruler was missing, and we need the horizontal relationship. Why do we need both of these? We need both of them because that's what it takes to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Because the Lord did not intend to give you the Holy Spirit and then you keep it all for yourself. That's hoarding just like the rich young ruler was doing. He had all these possessions in this world and he thought that he had it all because he had followed some of the commandments. But he didn't truly have a full relationship with God. And so if we do not take the message that God has given us and implanted in us through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives and give that away exponentially to other people then we're just like the rich young ruler. We're just on the opposite side of the coin. 
So if we're keeping it all for ourselves, if we try to think that we can have a relationship with God and keep him all to ourselves without telling anybody else around us about that, then we've missed what the full aspect of having that relationship means. It's not meant for just us to go to heaven. You can go and look in the New Testament and see this same thing. Paul is talking to the Corinthians, all right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he's telling them about what it means to have this relationship and also what that truly means when we go out and we have fruit or what it means to to give this away and what what remains. He says what's going to remain is uh, gold, silver, and precious stones or it's going to be wood, hay, and stubble. And then he says this, the Lord is going to take all of that and he's going to put it to the test of fire. What happens when you put wood, hay, and stubble to the test of fire? It's all burned up and gone away. And so he says that gold and silver and precious jewels, what happens to them when you put them to the fire? They're refined. They're made pure. So if we're doing what we're doing for God, and if we're truly allowing him in our lives and then to flow out of our lives, there will be fruit and it will be things that remain. But if we don't, everything that we think that we're doing that's important is going to burn up. I've used this illustration once before, but it's a long time ago, I think. Do you guys remember Woolworths? All right. My mom used to work for Woolworths in Athens. All right. Mr. Woolworth was all about Mr. Woolworth. Everything that he did was about him. He put his name on buildings. He put his names on everything. And then when he died, now... Now, people don't even, anybody under 40 in here that have ever heard of Woolworths? You, know, you don't know anything about this guy at all. Because everything that he had and everything that he spent his whole life investing in is totally gone. Scripture tells us this over and over and over and over again. Go read Psalm 37. We can't invest our lives in all of these things and all of this stuff and think that it's going to remain. Why? Because God wants us to be faithful. So to be faithful to him, we have to have a relationship with him, and then we have to have a relationship with other people. Why did Jesus put these two together in the New Testament and give that to us as the great commandment? It's because it's essential to our life and to the very aspect of who we are. So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at that aspect, that external component. Remember, this is an external component. It's not about us at all. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 2 and look at verses 6 and 7. He says, therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, overflowing with gratitude. Now, let me just give you a little tidbit here. If, I, uh, if you don't know this, Colossians and Ephesians are very much similar. In fact, 60% of all the scripture that is in or the verses that are in Ephesians are given to you in some way, shape, form or fashion in the book of Colossians. Why is that important? Because he was writing to the church at Ephesus, and he told them this, and then he turned around and wrote it to the church at Colossae, and he told them what? Basically, essentially the same thing in a different way, using different words in in a a condensed, more condensed version. Why is that important? Because Paul is being consistent with the word of God, right? God's word is God's word. And so we can't look around it or think that we can get away with not doing certain aspects of it. So when he tells us right here that we're to walk in him and that our life is a journey and it's all about that walk and that journey that we take with him, then we've got to know that our job is not to just sit here with our hands in our pocket and stand still. Nor can we sit at home on Sunday mornings in our recliner and watch some preacher TV, you know, and think that we are being a part of the body of Christ, 
We have to interact with other human beings. Whether you're an extrovert or an introvert or whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Whatever your strengths are and whatever your weaknesses are, whatever the things that you like to do or don't like to do, God has called us to this. It is a, it is a vital aspect of who we are in Christ Jesus. We can't just do away with it. We like to because in our humanity, it's all about us. And in our society and culture today, it is so about this. So for us to be different from that and to shine in that and to stand out from that, we have to show people something that's different. In fact, what, what, is, what does the golden rule say? Do unto others as you would have them what? Do unto you. So it's not do unto others the way that you think they should be treated. You need to treat others in the way that if you were in that same spot, how would you want to be treated? By them. So when your waitress messes up your order, you know, you want to treat them that way. So when, when people say things wrong to you and the response back should be for you to respond back to them or to take vengeance upon somebody, you don't do that. You respond in a totally different way because it's not you first. You're not at the center of all of this. And our walk is that important. We're to walk in him. Not to walk in us. So here's the point today. The point is focus. Our social movement and intensity of influence. God wants to use us in the kingdom. And he, he wants us to make an impact in that kingdom. No matter how old we are, how much life we have left. Whoever we are, God wants to use us right now for his glory and for his purposes and for his intent. And so when we walk that way and when we're journeying with him, our focus should be on that. But it is so easy to turn our focus off of that. In fact, everything around us and about us wants to turn that off. Everything. When you get up in the morning and you're late for work, you're focusing about what? Getting to work on time and doing what you've got to get done and thinking about your day. But in the meantime, you're out on the road with everybody else or you're going to get your breakfast or you're, you finally get to work and you're passing everybody by and you're thinking totally about You're not greeting anybody. You're not talking to anybody. Our focus is just totally turned off of that. So somehow or another, we got to slow this down. We have to turn this process around. And in doing so, it is transformative. It is transformative not only to us but to the entirety of the world. What does the world think about us? They think we're a bunch of hypocrites, and they think that we're only about who we are, and we have something that they don't have, and we hold it against them, and all these other things. We're judgmental. We're all this stuff. So the way that we prove that that is not true is by our, the way we turn this around, by changing our focus. And when we do that, golly, God just opens up. It's like turning on the water. And everything just flows out. There's power in our walk. When we take our focus off of ourselves and we begin to think about what God wants to do in and through us, our, the whole center of who we are is transformative and changes. When Brother Paul goes out and he meets somebody, he's telling them about Jesus. He's not talking about himself. When people come up, they ask Brother Paul, how you doing, Brother Paul? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Do you know Jesus? 
<laughs> I mean, that's what he does. He just turns it around right then and there. You can ask him anything about him, and he doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Jesus. And that's a cool, cool aspect of his life. He is, God has so intently transformed him on the inside that he's constantly thinking about everybody else but himself. And that is a cool, cool, it is great to live with that, right? Please don't tell my wife how good that is because I'm not like that, all right? And she knows that, all right? But it is so true, is it not? Psalm 46.1 says this, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in time of trouble. So he's our refuge, he's our strength. I talked about this Wednesday night, and I'm not going to talk about it again, but we've had a rough week, man. Our checkbook has been hit two or three different times by different stuff and calamities that have happened, and it's thousands of dollars. And it is a tough, tough deal not to think about those things. But God is my refuge and my strength, and I want you to know I still have two nickels together in my checking account, and I'm rubbing them together. And in doing so, I'm hoping that they what? Multiply. That's exactly right. And so that's what I'm looking for. I'm, I know that there are times when we get desperate in finances or we get desperate in our emotions or we get desperate in our relationships with other people, and it doesn't look good. And when that happens, the, the focus for us turns to, we like to huddle around and think, how can I protect myself? We're like a turtle. We just go into our shell and we do the habits that we want to do that we think us, make us feel better. But the reality is, is that we need to trust in God. God is our refuge and our strength. We need to turn to him when it looks like everything has been turned around or turned on us. Why is that? Because he's ever present in our times of trouble. He knows what's going on. He's got our back. So if there's power in the walk and power in the journey and stuff is going on in your life, but God is also doing stuff in other people's lives and you need to be the help for that, and when you're going, how in the world am I going to get through my junk to help them with their stuff? God, that's exactly how we do it. So we pull on this relationship right here so that we can give to this relationship right here. And that's what makes a marriage work. That's what makes a church work. And so when we all get this kind of outlook or this kind of focus then God starts really moving in our midst because guess why? Because we're no longer at the center of everything that's going on in our lives. And when God's at the center and we're focused on him and then we're focused on what, how God's going to use us for everybody else, man, it sure does feel like we're being poured out. But Paul said in 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy, he said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. Do you ever feel like that? But God was using him in a mighty, mighty way. That's what God wants to do with us. We become that conduit for everything just to flow in from God and to flow out from him. But if we don't, if we shut that off, if we shut off the inflow, we got nothing left to give. Nothing left. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 and 10 says this, And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distress, with persecution, with difficulties. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. (laughs) 
Do y'all have that one up on your mirror at home somewhere? Don't you want to read that one every day when you go out? You know, you know, this is not one of those verses that you come in and this is not a warm and fuzzy. This is not, when you preach and talk about this kind of stuff, people go, Ugh, really? We got to talk about my weaknesses? I got to be thankful. I got to be happy about that. God really wants me to allow myself to be exposed to everybody else and everybody else know what's wrong with me. We try to hide all that stuff. God says, Paul says, that when I am weak, then he is what? Strong. That's right. So when God wants us to be powerful, we're going to be what? Weak. We're going to be vulnerable. So God takes that vulnerability of us and he uses it in a powerful, powerful way for his kingdom. When I am weak, then, then I am strong. So when we're looking at our journey, think about this. Our refuge, where we hide in the cliff of the rock, is in Christ Jesus. And then when we think that we're really strong, I'm really a good preacher. This is all great. All these people are here today to hear me. <laughs> right. That's not happening. So it's a God thing that makes that happen. It's a God thing that brings us all together. It, you were drawn here by God for, by, for an intentful purpose this morning to hear his word or to sing song and praise him. And it's not even about the person that's sitting next to you. So when we get this, it brings out the vulnerability in us. And it leaves us exposed. But that's the way God wants us. Get out of the shell. Isaiah 40, 31 he says this, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. That word wait really means rely. So if you really want to take something on top of that and put it there, that's what that means. It means to rely upon the Lord. So you can read this, those who rely on the Lord will gain new strength and will mount up with wings <laughs> like eagles. They will run and not get tired and they will walk and not become weary. You see how this ends? So when we rely upon God, when we wait upon his strength and when he strengthens us, when this gate is open and he's our refuge and he's our strength, then stuff is coming in and we're vulnerable because we can't control it and we don't know what's going on and we don't know what God's going to do and we don't, want, we don't know what the next thing is and we don't know what the next step is. We're just trying to walk with God and then it's just flowing out of us. And when it's flowing out of us, he says that what? In that, we mount up with wings like eagles. And we run and we don't grow weary. And we walk and we don't grow faint. He empowers us in such a mighty way to get done the things that he wants us to do. But if we try to do those same things in our own strength, because we talked about strength last week, remember? We want to use our physical might to do things for God, to go where he wants us to go, to be who he wants us to be. And when we do that in and of our own strength and in and of our own power, we get what? We get wore out, totally worn out. So for us to stay filled up with the, with the power of God, it's got to flow out and it's got to be about him. In every aspect of our lives. All right. So 
If the focus is to be social, to have this movement, this intensity of our influence, and there's power in this that comes from God, what's the key to all this? The key is our association. And what I mean by here is proximity to God. And that's going to sound really kind of crazy, but let me just try to take a second to explain it, all right? The Holy Spirit comes and the scripture says lives inside of us when we give our lives to Christ. It says that we're a new creature. It's no longer I that liveth, but Christ that liveth in me. So if I have Christ living in me through the power and the presence of Holy Spirit, God is always what? Right here. God is always right here. But there are times when I'm so distant from God. How is that possible? Because I'm holding God off at at arm's length by doing the things that I want to do. So when I say proximity, I don't mean the fact that you are far from God, but you are far from God. God's right here. God's right here inside of me. And he never leaves me, never forsakes me. That's scriptural. So how can I be far away from God? Because I'm not doing the thing. I've shut him off. And nothing is flowing in. The vertical relationship is not happening. And we are just like the rich young ruler. Well, I hadn't done this. I'm not as bad as that person. Well, I'm trying. If you'd help me out a little bit, I could get some of this done. If you want me to do it, you better make it happen because I don't know what's going on. I can't figure it out. But we don't read scripture. We don't open up our heart. We don't open up our minds. We don't let him fill us internally. And we're wondering, why in the world can I not get it right with God here? What is going on? Well, what's going on is we shut him off here. And when that does, that shuts him off in our heart. And it shuts him off in our mind. And when that happens, nothing's flowing out. And when nothing's flowing out, we try to do things in our own strength, and man, it just comes to nothing. And when it comes to nothing, we feel so worthless. We feel so broken. But I'm telling you, when you open that back up, when you open it up, he will fill you up. And Paul says this, that we are constantly being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't, it's hard to kind of get this, and, the, you know, and a charismatic church looks at it a different way. They think, they think it's different, but I'm going to give you what I think, which I think is kind of probably what Baptists kind of look at it here. When you receive Jesus, you get all of him you can handle. I am filled up with the Holy Spirit, but I'm not living in that. So Paul would say that I'm not filled up. If I'm not living in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, I'm not fully filled. I got all of God I can ever handle in me through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I'm not using it at all. That makes me empty spiritually. Now, charismatic church would say that you are filled and filled up and down with that power and that presence i believe that when you get it you get all that god can handle so if you ask me if someone comes to me and they're from a different faith and they say are you filled with the holy spirit i say yes i am (laughs) i got all i can handle is it turned on probably not or i am trying to 
like a hose on the end. You know what I'm saying? I'm trying to control it. I meter it. Whenever I want it turned on, I want it turned on. Whenever I want it turned off, I just release and walk away from it. The hose is full of water, but nothing's coming out. So that's what it's like for us. But to really, truly open this up, that's the proximity I'm talking about. You're walking with God. You're walking where he wants you to walk in the footsteps in which he places out before you. So it's not about having him close to us. It's about being close to him. That's the way Hebrews puts it. If we draw near to God, then God will what? Draw nearer to us. And you, look, you read that and you go, how can God get any closer to me than he is? I'm, he's the Holy Spirit. He lives right inside of me. I got to draw near to him for him to draw near to me. If I want to walk through life and say, I got Jesus, y'all stay in back. He will allow that to happen. And I will be shut off from the world. So our association deals with the proximity of God and it deals with his presence, but it deals with how we open that up. Does that make sense? Just shake your head so we can finish today, right? Okay, yeah, Tim, I want to go to lunch. Don't, don't explain anymore. All right? All right, Romans chapter 8, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what we're giving away. We're giving out gifts. When we're associated and this is opened up, we're giving out gifts from God. And it's not anything but his grace. All right. Now, I have done this before. I've done this with each of, each of our children in some way shape form or fashion so if you've ever had kids do you ever go in their room have you ever been in your kids room especially when they were like let's just go back to the teenage years you go in your teenager's room you know what i'm saying ain't no telling what you'll find in that place right and what kind of shape it's in and you go in there and you look at it and so many of us are tempted to walk in and say this is a pigsty clean this room up right now and i mean it I mean, by this and this time, or by, you know, whatever, by the end of the day, I want this room what? I want this room clean. And I've done that. And by the end of the day, maybe like 11.59, I'm trying to go to sleep, and somebody's up trying to clean their room. You said do it by the end of the day. I got a minute left. It's kind of how it worked. But I also have done this, all right? They've gone off. They've gone to school. I've been at home. I've gone in and cleaned their room. I've gone in and cleaned their room for them, and then I take a big piece of paper, and I write grace on it, and I've taped it to their mirror. This is grace. This was a stinking mess, and it got cleaned up by none of your doing. None of your doing. Somebody else did this for you. And because they did this for you, you now get to walk into this place, which smells a whole lot better, and it's really clean. That's what God did for us. Why don't we want to do that for anybody else? We want to look at that and say, your life is a mess. You got to clean that up. But we don't want to help them. Sin is messy. So if someone is separated from God, there's a mess. 
And it looks and comes in all kinds of different forms and fashions. Our job is to show grace. Why? Because we've been shown grace. So that's why the golden rule is so prominent in our lives. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. You want somebody, can somebody just show me a little love? Can somebody just show me a little grace? Yeah. When you show that love to someone else. Have you ever heard this adage? If you want to have a friend, you have to be a friend. Why is that a requirement first? Have you ever thought about that? I'd like to have friends. Why have I got to go be a friend first? Because that's the way it works. You're not going to have a friend until you become a friend to somebody else. I want grace from God. I want God's love and mercy upon my life. Then guess what? You got to show a little. You got to be a little love to somebody in their life. You got to show somebody some grace and some mercy. I'd like a friend, someone I could talk to, Lord, here. Then you got to be a friend. You got to become that for somebody else. And that takes time. That takes away from you, right? Tamar said something to me this week. She came in from the house, and, she, and I just kind of didn't say a whole lot to her, and, you know, I didn't, like, greet her. But I've, I've had a rough week, all right? I think I've told you guys that already. So there was a lot of different stuff going on. I was in a lot of different places trying to put out fires and fix things and all this kind of stuff. So I was kind of standoffish. And she goes, you've been spending too much time by yourself. You need to realize there's other people in your life. She didn't say that part. But we get like that, don't we? It's called tunnel vision. And we're like, oh, my Lord, this is going crazy. I got to just, I got to go take care of this. And, 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 and we're walking right by everybody, and we're not looking at anything. We got to let that go. We got to see that for what it is. We got to hear that for what it is. So when someone tells me that, my job is to say, hey, how can I help you? What can we do? What, how can we be together? How can we spend some time together? What can we do to fix this? <clears throat> Second Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. We've already kind of touched on that. Let me keep going. Romans 8.1 says this, Therefore, thou, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's very important. Because we throw this one around. I'm a believer. I can't do anything wrong. (laughs) How can I get in trouble? I'm going to get heaven. What is God going to do to me now? Huh? We live like this. We think, I'm in. I got a free pass. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're doing stuff... If we're sinning, saying that we're a believer, you better believe there's going to be consequences for that sin. Guaranteed. Even as a follower of Christ, if you go out and try to live the life like you want to live it, there's going to be consequences for that. And you can say, now there's no condemnation. Now, you may get into heaven, go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 3 again. He said, you'll get into heaven, but it'll be like you're smoking. Because you just passed through fire and made it for yourself. 
and there's not going to be any fruit. There's not going to be anything to be able to lay down at the feet of the Father. Remember how it talks about crowns of life, crown of righteousness, crown all these things that we get to lay at the feet of the Father. What if we get up there? There's going to be people there that don't have anything to lay at the feet of the Father. So we got to understand that our life is to be lived for something other than ourselves. Philippians 4, 12 through 13 says this. Now I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now we pull that verse out by itself all the time. I can do everything through Jesus who strengthens me. But we don't like to read the stuff before that because that's all about being content. God strengthens us when we're content. When, we're, when there's discontent in their life, that brings discord to our life. And when there's discontent and discord, there's sin. If we get frustrated with God, we try to fix it. And that's a mess. That is a total mess. And our fingerprints will be all over it. You got to let it down and you got to let it go. You got to get on your knees and you got to open up. You got to allow yourself to be weak so that God can make you strong again. You got to open up the top relationship so that the others will flow out. You got to keep the flow to the other relationships so that you'll realize the position and the place that God has put you. Every single one of us has a sphere of influence. Think about it. I got some encouraging news this week. Mallory told me that I can't die yet because she's not fully grown. She says she's not there for full adulting yet, and so she told me that I had to stay alive. That's exactly what she said to me. So it's like me and Tamara can't drive in the same car anymore or anything like that. We have to be separate. Somebody's got to make it so that she can, till she's a full adult, till she's fully adulting. We got to hang in there. That was, that was a word of encouragement. But you know what it does? It lets me see there's someone here who God's got me here for, to be responsible for, and to, and there's still work to be done. That's the same thing for all of us. There's work to be done. So if God's got work for us to do, let's get busy doing it. And sometimes that work's not about us. In fact, the majority of it's not. (coughs) So as God brings these issues and things, circumstances and situations into your life, turn them over. Turn them over. And see what God does. Amen? Let's go to him in prayer. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity in which we have to come here. Thank you for the gift of life. We thank you for the life which we've been given, the blessings of being able to be here today and to worship you. We come to you now praising you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. We also come to you, Father, because we know the power and the presence of what it means to have a relationship with you. So as we open up our hearts and our minds this morning, Father, we pray that the spirit of
will fill us full. And as the Spirit fills us full, it will be overflowing, pouring out, Father, relationally, physically as we go out and do things, but, Father, socially as we interact with those who are around us. Father, it's these things we pray for so that we can be a fully devoted follower of you. So one day we can sit down and say, have you say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. All this we ask in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Amen. <clears throat>